0: Pucks with Hags is brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network.
1: Welcome to another edition of the Pucks with Hags podcast. This is the 67th edition of the Pucks with Hags podcast, I believe. Um, I'm your host, Joe Haggerty. You can find my work at joehaggerty.substack.com. Join up for a premium membership. You get all of my NHL and Bruins writing sent straight directly to your inbox. Uh, I also write for the Boston Sports Journal. Go check them out, bostonsportsjournal.com file columns after every single game uh and with this being a saturday game day against the vancouver canucks i will be filing after that game is over hopefully it's a little better than the four to nothing snooze fest at the garden when vancouver came in there earlier this year i'd like to thank uh, evan marinovsky from the new england hockey journal for joining us evan thank you very much are you also uh going to be gracing us on the tv screen on nesson sometime soon
2: Oh, God, I did last night or Friday night, uh, our draft show premiered at 630. So that was fun. Um, and then they, they play that recurring throughout the month. Uh, so it's always funny when like a friend, uh, we've had this conversation, a friend will send a picture of me on at a bar. And I'm like, well, nobody's listening. It doesn't matter. I, you know, it's just my talking head going like this, <laughs> do it, you know, but it's so cool. So is, that
1: what was the draft show? Is that like New England kids that are going to be likely drafted or what, what, what was the, yeah. the basis of that?
2: So the premise was a uh, top 10 local kids looking to be drafted. Nice. Uh, so we had on uh, Dave Gregory from NHL central scouting. He was oh, awesome. Um, there was a lot of stuff that actually didn't make the show because we only get like 21 minutes and he was yep. going, and he's so knowledgeable that we were going forever. Um, but it, you know, I would say there's like four definites from this region and then there's about seven or eight who could. Um, so it's either going to be a, a, a good year or it'll be kind of an average eh, year. Um, obviously the big ones, Iserman, but then yep. there's some others, you know, Teddy Stiga with the program, uh, Ben Merrill at St. Sebastians, uh, Elliot Greenwald's a defenseman with the Cedar Rapids, Rough Riders. Like there's those kids. I, I, I kind of have his definites. Um, but it'll be, hopefully there's more that go. It, it it's always better for my job when more kids go, it makes it easier. And it's also good for the region. So, uh, hopefully the most amount of kids uh, go in the draft, but it was good. It was a good episode.
1: Yeah. I would love to see, uh, some, some more prep, uh, prep school kids get drafted. I always, think that's good for the the region good for the programs good for all that stuff maybe even keeps a couple of them around instead of you know bolting from for the ushl or you know uh, they're not they're, they probably will go to the ndtp if uh if that one comes calling uh that's too uh, that's
2: the big thing they're not they're not not doing that um no. we've, ta- we've talked about so, too <laughs> yeah oh exactly and, and i think that you know It's tough, and this is a whole other podcast. And I know you and I have talked about this before. We've talked about it off air. Is kids just leaving everything early? They're leaving MIAA a year early to go to prep. They're leaving prep a year early to go to juniors. And uh, I don't. I mean, hopefully that reverts at some point. Hopefully, you know, kids realize like, hey, going to juniors a year early isn't always the best for my development. Obviously, the best of the best kids, like a Cole Eiserman, are always going to the NTDP. Those kids are not sticking around. But it's for the kids that are middle tier, you know, your potential third or fourth round picks down the road, uh, sometimes later, uh, who you want to stick around. And so it's good that like a Ben Merrill, uh, he kind of peaked later than others did. That's kind of why I think he's still here. Um, But then next year, there's a few kids in prep who hopefully will be draft, you know, looked at for the draft. So, you know, hopefully, hopefully kids stick around, Hags. I'm all for it.
1: Is that any of the mutrins uh, coming next year or is that they are
2: Teddy? So Teddy Mutrin is a junior at Sebs. Uh, he tried out for the program last year, didn't make it, but uh, you know, was a high draft pick in the USHL. He decided to stay this year at Sebs and then his brother, Casey Mutrin, who's an Oh eight. Uh, he's a sophomore. Uh, he will be eligible for the NTDP this year. I would be shocked if he didn't make it. So I would assume he Fred. would go there. Yeah. Um, and so, but yeah, I know that they're, you know, big BC people. And uh, so, but Teddy will be draft eligible next year. And then Casey will be the next year. Both, I would assume get picked because um, both uh-huh. the raw abilities are too good.
1: Always good to hear uh new England kids uh, in the mix for the draft. And I hope it is a, a robust draft class from, uh, from new England in June. Uh, let's then at least our for our...
2: my sake, at least for my sake, Hags. for everybody's I, I sake, <laughs>
1: you know, it's selfishly for your sake. So it's good content, but for everybody's sake, let's, let's keep it. Keep it going and get the numbers uh, a little bit bigger because the, like the last few years, right, the knock has been uh, the, the, the really high draft picks. There's a couple of like premium kids that get picked, but the numbers as far as uh, depth and, and, and quantity haven't been as good, um, you know, in the mass number of New England kids getting selected. So let's hope it's a much bigger number this year. Um, all right. Let's take our sponsors real quick before we get into it. Uh, FanDuel Sportsbook uh nba season in full swing uh your first get your first get get buckets with your first bet on fanduel america's number one sports book exclusive wagering partner of the clns network right now new customers get 100 150 150 in bonus bets with any winning five dollar bet that's 150 bucks if your bet wins uh you could use 150 bucks right there uh, evan
2: Oh, I would love 150 bucks. That's for damn sure. (laughs)
1: Who who couldn't, who couldn't use that? Um, Bet on all your favorite NBA players and teams with quick bets, live same game parlays, exclusive props, and more. And I can tell you right now that wouldn't even cover like one grocery trip when you have uh, two growing kids and (laughs) uh, four people. I can't even imagine. So like (laughs) you can definitely use 150 bucks, Evan. Uh, Just visit fanduel.com slash Boston and shoot your shot. Um, All right, let's get into this. Um, any observations any things you've taken from um the two games on the road they've split uh the a win in edmonton a really good uh really good overtime win and then they lost in overtime in calgary uh and you could even probably lump the dallas shootout win in here as well because i felt mm-hmm. that was the same sort of you know same sort of thing was going on in that game as has gone in the last two just anything you take uh, from these games
2: you know, it's interesting. Uh, the Edmonton game was, was wacky. Obviously uh, you don't like to see them blow that lead late in the third. I think Swayman was, you know, definitely not his best self. Um, no, you know, but, but he like
1: even... he was back and forth in that game. So I kind of, Yeah, I will write that one off as a game. He had to battle through where it doesn't look pretty in the end when you look at the stats, but he ended up making the saves when he need to. And, you know, and ended up getting the win in the end. It's kind of like a grant Fuhr special when he was with Edmonton and you know he, the the numbers didn't look good, and he gave up a lot of goals, but he ended up making enough saves to win, and that's really what matters in those situations.
2: I agree, and and there were also some pretty saves he made. Well, I was yep. thinking more like the shot, the Cody CC shot from the point, yep. things like that. Um, I will say I will give them credit for resilience in both the Dallas game and Edmonton game, especially the Edmonton yep. game. You know, you experience uh, Grizzly goes down, Lindholm was already out. Lower I was kind of this late call up, comes in, plays really well. I thought. Um, yep. So I'll give them credit for, I think the resilience, which we've kind of seen throughout this season, where even when they look like they shouldn't win a game, they find a way with this roster, uh, even shorthanded. Uh, and I will get, you know, I think that that's a, a good observation. And I think Mason Lowry, Um the last two games has looked pretty solid and outstanding. You know, I, I yeah. would
1: say outstanding, like from sp- what, what he looked like before. Yes, I agree.
2: And I think for that, from that Edmonton game too, like those, those three assists, he hits the crossbar in overtime against Calgary yep. um, defensively. He looked a little bit better. Like to me, I, like that's been the big takeaway I've had from these two games in the sense that obviously, and I know we'll discuss the deadline. Uh, Cause whatever, that's the big thing. Um, yep. And right now it's defense, but I think if Lowry can come in and kind of give you some Hampus Lindholm style of play style minutes, I think that's a very good thing. And I'm fast. And I, I said this to Connor the other day, like I'm fascinated to see what he looks like down the stretch here. Um, You know, does he work his way into uh your sixth defenseman for the playoffs? Is he, you know, is he going to turn into more of a guy that you slot in when you need it? I mean, we saw it last year against Florida. One of the biggest problems they had, they could not move the puck out of their own zone. Yep. Lowry is extremely good at that. And if he can stick and he can continue to be, you know, Above average defensively and 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 continue to produce offensively and uh, play with the aggressiveness he does when he steps up into the play. I think that's great. Um, so uh, Lowry was kind of my big takeaway from those two games. I'm curious what yours were.
1: Yeah, I think Lowry was one I had. Uh, that's definitely a topic I wanted to discuss today, so we can get into that right now because I thought he was very good. Uh, the three mm-hmm. assist game, played 23 plus minutes, played more than 20 minutes again against Calgary. Back to back games where. Like, on the road, um, you can't hide a guy. You can't get favorable matchups. You can you can get stuck. Um, you know, you can't really protect players, especially if you're going to play them top four minutes and you're going to play them 20-plus minutes. They're going to be out there in matchups you might not love, and you are going to have to exactly. figure out a way. And uh, we saw uh, a shift. It was in the Edmonton game where he was on the ice for over three minutes. As that they was were nuts. <laughs> to try to get the puck out. But he kept trying to, you know, make plays, make plays, battle, fight, do whatever he had to do along with everybody else out there before they finally were able to get the puck out of the zone, get for, go off for a change. Uh, and, you know, all of those things showed me something, you know, uh, that's important. If he is going to be a player down the stretch for them, if he is going to get some playoff time you've got to be able to perform and excel and and survive in certain instances when you're not getting protected. You're not getting shielded in in favorable matchups. You know, you're going to be on the road and you're going to have to go up against the other team's best players. You're going to have to figure out ways to survive in the defensive zone when things, uh, you know, people are running around and and you get uh, hemmed in. And I think he did all that in addition to what you're talking about is the offensive end, um, being able to handle the puck, being able to create in the offensive zone, having the skill at the blue line to – you know make a quick move and free himself up for a better shot or to you know the slick passing that he has where he, it's just effortless he just thinks the game it really is. well and he sets up other guys for offensive chances and what I really like to see is finally 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 there were some instances where they put him at point on the power play yes. and they let him go and that is exactly where he should be I understand there are egos involved I understand there are other defensemen who are very high caliber and have a lot of cachet and and want to be in those situations. Mason Lowry has the best skill set to be in that kind of a situation and to be running a power play unit and running the point along with the other uh, best offensive players out there. Like he's willing to shoot, he's great creatively, he can make things happen. I, I think he needs to be. If you're going to have him up on the NHL team, he needs to be on one of those two power play units and. Sometimes even better if he's on the second unit because things can kind of run through him, which Mm -hmm. is not traditionally how it goes in power plays these days. It's more about the bumper or somebody on the sidewall or setting somebody up for, uh, you know, shots at the at the dot. Uh, But I think he brings that element when he's out there where you can run things through him and he can be that traditional power play quarterback um, up at the point sort of from the defenseman position. So I love to see that as well. Uh, when he was up. The interesting thing, though, Evan, about all this, because I was impressed with the way he played, and we had Mark Diver on uh, earlier this week, and he said Lorai was okay, not outstanding, not dominant, but okay when he came back down to Providence. Clearly, he took a few things from going down and then now coming back up, because I think he's a much more confident player. He looks like he's much more ready for for things that are happening and getting thrown at him this time around. Um, but the real question I have is, he's looked so good, right? that Mm -hmm. um who do you think other teams are going to be asking for at the trade deadline especially especially if you're looking to get a a big defenseman from some other team uh that is going to be the guy that other teams are going to be asking for and my my like my real sort of like wonder you know when you you, when you talk about Noah Hannafin obviously being a guy they would love to have uh from Calgary when you talk about maybe Colton Pareko from the St. Louis Blues another big sort of frontline defenseman that would I think answer a lot of things for them he's big strong physical plays you know top four minutes is a really good player you start talking about those kind of players the team that you're trading with is going to want a younger player that's going to be able to step in and replace that kind of player being traded away as a prospect yes. going back to them who in the Bruins organization is going to be the guy that the other teams are going to want if you're trading for a Colton Pareko or a Noah Hannafin?
2: Well, that's the I, I didn't I say this obviously
1: Mason Lowry. Like yes, the question becomes: Are you willing to give up that player to get a Pareko, to get a Hannafin, to get somebody like that? That you know, granted, you're probably going to trade for with designs on him sticking around for a long time and being part of a big three with the other two. But like Lowry has shown so much talent to me so much upside that like, I would be real hesitant to include him in a trade. I don't think they should uh, put Matt Patra in any trades as a prospect that other teams want. I think Fabian Lysel is the only guy mm-hmm. I'd be willing to put in trades as the prospect going the other way, as the A prospect going the other way, if you have to uh, create a package uh, of draft picks, prospects, and, and most likely a roster player right, to uh, make the money work if somebody else is coming in this direction.
0: Get your buckets with your first bet at FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Because right now, new customers win $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 bet. That's $150 bucks if your bet wins. Bet on all your favorite NBA players and teams, quick bets, live same game parlays, exclusive props, and more. Just visit fanduelcom Boston and shoot your shot. FanDuel, official sportsbook partner. Of the NBA. Massachusetts 21 plus and present in MA. Hope is here. First online real money line wager. Only $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com, gambling helpline ma.org, or call 800 327 5050 for 24 7 support. Play it smart from the start. GameSenseMA.com, or call 1 800
2: Happy Price, go to your Happy price. price, line. I said, didn't I say this to you on Bruins Beat last week? I was like, the only way you could trade like that, the Flames would engage with you for Noah Hannafin would be like Lowry would have to go back in that deal, most likely. Yeah, I, I would I,
1: suspect any team that's trading a big time defenseman is going to want a defenseman. Oh, back. Y-
2: yes, and I I don't want to trade Lowry. I again, six five, skilled, very offensively creative, can yep. skate well, like good stick. He's big in his own right. Like I want to see that kid develop. I do, and I don't want to trade uh, him for Colton Pareko, who, yes, uh, a little more bruising and uh, big as well, and maybe could help you a little bit more in this playoff run. Yep. But I want to, I want to keep Laura around. And, and like Hannifin, we talked a little bit about this last week. Um, you know, my view on Hannafin is I think he would fit awesome on this in this top four, no he doubt. He would fit great, and I and if he's you know, my view is if he is available come the summer and you can get him as a free agent. Awesome. Great. I'm all for it. You know, do it. Yep. It would fit. Great. Um, We talked about how, uh, you know, he would be my guy in there because he's Seb's guy. We could talk prep hockey, which would be great. Yep. But in terms of giving up assets, I like I think, Lowry, you you ultimately want in the next year or two to elevate into your top four and to, you know, with the Hampus Lindholm as on your left side. Um, that's who you want. And you could also make the argument that if you're going to sign Hannifin in the off season, what's the future of low rise, low going to be your third pairing defenseman for the next couple of years. Like I think low ceiling is higher than a third pair. Um, it is, but
1: like you could put him as a third pairing that, you know, plays power play and, you know, as you're aging out with some of these other players, hundred you know, percent, like when, when Carlo gets a few years older, maybe that's a guy you look at and say, he could end up pushing into the top four. You know, yep. I, I, I agree. I, but I think you've got to be, you've got to be cognizant of that, right? Like that. You're not blocking him from developing more by exactly like all these other defensemen for sure. Um, but I just, I, I think he's a little different than what they have as far as the, Oh, re- sort of creativity level and offensive high end offensive ability level that he's shown. It, I think it's, it's higher. I think he has the highest offensive ability level of any of the defensemen that they have right now. Um. Yeah. And, and probably would be like at there or above Noah Hannafin too. Like Hannafin's good, no question about it. And I think he looks really smooth running the point too. Um, in the, in the times that I've watched him play, but like you know, he's he's just reaching now his highest level of like offensive potential at you know 27 years old or whatever he is now. Like it seems like this this season he's really like hitting the sort of crescendo of his development, and it's taken him. You know, it, it hasn't been like he was a stud, you know, uh, top pairing defenseman like right out of the draft, and has been dominant. Like he's he, it's been steadily up and up and up for him. And I think right now he's hitting his best level. And it's funny. I actually was looking at watching, um, I think it was Sportsnet. Um, they had Doug McLean on and they were talking about Hannafin and he was kind of saying, and and I think it was, uh, who the heck was it? Um, uh, Merrick, Jeff Merrick, I think was, was I think it was his mm-hmm. show. And he was saying also, they were both kind of in, in concert saying they don't think Hannafin's as good as he's sort of being made out to be, or like as good as like whatever package is going to end up going the other way. Like he's solid, but he's not like the, you know, he's not the premier defenseman that like in years past has gotten traded at the deadline. Someone's going to
2: overpay for him a lot.
1: Correct. And, and, and that was interesting to put it in that perspective as well, as far as overpay for assets and overpay for the contract extension that you're going to have to obviously wheel out to him to, to get him to stay.
2: It's interesting with Hannafin because him and Elias Lindholm were both high draft picks with Carolina, didn't really turn into anything down there, went to Calgary and both have kind of found their way. And you're right. I mean, Hannafin, it has taken a few years for him to sort of come into his own. I agree with all that. And that's why, again, like I go back to like, you know, what Lowry is. I mean, Lowry is. I don't want to say a unicorn, but he's unique. You know, this is not someone that you can go into the draft and get every year. This is not, you know, you know, if he was 6-5 and just a shutdown defenseman it'd be one thing. I mean, that would be valuable. <laughs> they could certainly use that right now. Yep. But that's something that you can get a little bit more than you can a 6-5 very offensive defenseman who's a good skater um and and you know just has that creativity we've talked about and I don't want to give up on that. I want like Credit to the Bruins. They, they drafted him. What was he second round in, uh, in 2020? Like they, they found him, they've developed him. Uh, He became a defenseman very late, uh, relatively late in his career. I think he was like 16 years old at at Culver. Um, And, you know, I want to keep him around. I don't want to deal him for a solid top four defenseman. When I think low rise ceiling is, is that of potentially a top pairing guy down the road um, and I mean, the same goes for like Matt Patra. I, I, you just mentioned him of yep. not wanting to deal him. I don't yep. want to deal him either. And I don't think no. this is, I don't think this is me being naive and holding on to prospects and being like, oh, these prospects are great. Both low and Patra have come up and shown you what they can do with this level and what they can be at this level. Now, are they going to be that full time right now? Probably not. You know, there are going to be some games where low right eh, defensively not so great and you don't notice them as much. And there were some games. Potra was up here where you didn't notice them a ton. They're young. They're rookies. You know, I think what we've seen, though, is that when when they do hit their stride in the next two to three years, uh, those guys are going to be cornerstones of this roster. And I don't want to give those up for Noah Hannafin at this moment uh, when you could potentially get him. In the offseason. And I know the counter argument a lot of people are making is well, what if Florida or Tampa Bay get him and sign him long term and lock him up long term? Well, then they get him. I mean, it's not great. It's sort of like the Ryan McDonough situation a few years ago. You right. know, like it's it's not perfect. Yes, they have that on you, but you can't operate by reacting to every other team. You've got low those teams. To, I don't know their prospect pools inside now, but I don't think they have a guy like a Lowry in the system who can come in and potentially fill that. And I think they also have more assets and draft capital to trade than you do. So that's yeah. also different. But And
1: and then, then they probably have more cap space too. Like there's a lot yes. of things going on. That's not hard that, to do right now. <laughs> that I think I, I think making a huge deal is going to be monumentally difficult for the Bruins. I, it's doable for sure. I mean, there's always a way.
2: It's going to sting uh, though. It you would sting. Want to
1: find it, Yeah. But it, there's going to be a lot involved. You're going to have to trade roster players to create cap space. You're going to have to trade probably future draft picks. I mean, I think that 2025 first round pick, if you're making a, a trade for a guy like a Pareco or a uh, Hannafin, I think is going to be gone. So you're going to be trading another first round pick away, a uh, future first round pick. And you, you know, it, maybe you can get them to take Fabian Lysel. I don't know. I mean, it, the reports at least are good in Providence. You, uh, we had Mark Diveron, as I mentioned, and, you know. He Diver's is,
2: not always high on Lysel. He
1: has been pretty hard on Fabian Lysel at times. And, and like, I wouldn't call him positively giddy about Lysel right now. No. That would, that would be overstating it. But I think there's a respect there at what he's been able to do and, and how he's been able to play and how he's responded to Ryan Muginel and the coaches down there and their challenge for him to play a more team-oriented game, be more professional, like sort of mature and grow up a little bit. And I think he's done that. Um, and I thought it was interesting to hear him say that he thinks that uh, Lysel is definitely going to play a game or two in Boston uh, before the season is out, you know, and that speaks also to rewarding somebody that um, I think has been doing the right thing since, you know, having that come to Jesus moment with Mujanel uh, like a month or two ago yes. um, when he was going on too many, uh, too many three on one uh, offensive rushes with nobody else around him and losing the puck. Hero he ball. Well, that's I mean, that that is like I. Uh, the coaching squirts—that is something I see quite a quite a bit at that. <laughs> the puck hogs group. at that level, where you're trying to stick handle through three guys, and you give it up, and it goes the other way, and you're kind of like trying to teach them that's not good hockey. And yeah, uh, that's not how it works. On, on some on some level, it's rewarding to know that like they, they they still continue to do that at 19 or 20 years old. Yes, uh, you're trying to teach them the right way to play. Um, but you, you know, to your point, I I I am going to continue to view this season the same way um i don't know that i view this team as stanley cup caliber i mean obviously they are one of the best teams in the east they have some things that they do really good uh they've been in the lead most of the season um you know they have some star players there's no question about it but i continue to sort of i try to look at this as a long range view thing with this team where being realistic about what's potentially there for them in the postseason versus what they've been able to accomplish in the regular season, you know, because of the way the game is played in the postseason versus the regular season, what they would need at the deadline to add in order to really be a threat and and to have the sort of horses that they need and the qualities they need uh, to go on a two month journey and, and win the cup. And just the transition that they've gone from the group they had before to the group that's taken over now and introducing the young players to the playoffs. Like we talk about low you know, the expectations are going to have to be tempered for a guy like that. If he's thrown into the Stanley cup playoffs, oh, yeah. you know, it's going to be a learning experience for him. And you can't expect that he's going to be a top four guy playing 20 plus minutes, not making mistakes, like all that stuff, but it's valuable. You know, to have those guys in those situations to get them ready uh, and get some playoff experience uh, for the years uh, beyond this. And I, I just think looking at all that, that's why I, you know, I think realistically, you have to look at this team as one of transition of one of, you know, uh, and not a bridge season, because I, I don't think that's quite it, but sort of something in that vein of like, you know, this is not the year maybe where they're going to be ready to win it all. Maybe next year is after these, some of these young guys uh, have the experience, you know, after they have the cap space where they can really add a Hannafin or add a couple players that are really going to augment what they already have. And they're not going to be in the salary cap duress that they're in this season. So I don't know if the prudent move, and I continue to not think the prudent move at the deadline is to go crazy and try to land all these big fish uh, when your, your salary cap, your assets, you know, everything that you have is telling you that it's probably not the right thing to do this year. Um, and and just the, you know, the gymnastics, you're going to have to do salary cap and otherwise just to make a move like that happen. Now, the interesting thing is you're starting to hear an Elliot Friedman, I think, mentioned this the other day on his podcast about Linus Ulmark sort of wondering if he's going to be in play, if he's going to get traded, if that's the player that's going to get move to create salary cap space for them to trade for Hannafin or do a big move. I think it's much cleaner. I think it makes much more sense to trade Matt Grislyk, um if he's healthy mm-hmm. um, and and trade him as an NHL defenseman to a team where you're getting an NHL defenseman and he can be the the placeholder right now. And and that can make the money work. Uh, but you know, it remains to be seen if he's going to be in demand somewhere else. And, and if that's what they're going to want and, um, it was also I think I somebody mentioned I can't remember who it was uh, Jake debrusque that they they felt like there's still going to be a push by the Bruins to sign him which I thought was interesting as well given that there's been no progress whatsoever on that front to this point. um but just your, your you know thoughts on Omar uh, if he could eventually be in play at some point this season uh, if that makes sense like I think that's a that's a tough one because you're you're probably gonna have to find somebody else, to trade uh with to to send him there in a separate deal to create cap space for the other because Calgary doesn't need Linus Almark. They have no. Markstrom. I don't think that's a need. St. Louis, if you're talking about Pareco, they're not gonna want Linus Almark. They have Bennington down there. You know, you you'd you have to trade him to a team that's desperate for goaltending. And it would have to also, by the way, be on the list of teams that he's willing to be traded to. So like there's a lot of moving parts here that make me think that like a lot of the things that are being thrown out there, just it's not possible that this stuff is going to happen.
2: This is why I think, you know, a couple of things, Omar, uh I am more for trading him in the off season when yeah, it's settled down. Uh, he's not an expiring contract. There's no rush. I've said this all season. I want to see them try the goalie tandem in the playoffs. I want to <laughs> see it. It's because again, it's their yeah. strength. It's their one area of the roster where there are no holes. You yep. know, you have two legitimate starting NHL goalies who are you know top ten in the NHL. I want to see them try it. You know, like that's where you do it. Um, yep. And and you can you can trade Olmark in the off season. You can trade him at the draft. You can trade him after that. Like there's no rush to trade Lena Olmark. Um, cause yeah. I, again, like let's just say hypothetically, right? They go out, they get Hannafin, and in a separate move, they deal Omar. I don't know what they're giving up, but let's say they do that. Are yep. they a much better team? You know, they're better, you know, obviously skater wise, but they're worse in net. You don't fully know what Swayman is going to be yet, uh, full time every game in the playoffs. You don't know what you have yet in that. Um, The other thing you mentioned cup contender status, you know, I've been saying I early in the season, I was like, they're not cup contenders. I don't see them as that. Now they've performed so well. They're, you know, first in the Atlantic and the East is wide open where I'm like, they should do something. Um, they should, you know, they shouldn't be out in the first round, but I agree with you. I could see this team flaming out or I could see them winning the whole thing. Like, that's the weird thing about this roster. I mean, you look at the bottom six right now and it's full of young guys like Brazo and Richard and Lauco and, and guys like Steen. And you don't really have that fully set up yet, you know, um, yep. and and that's where, like, I go, well. You you it's kind of like it's like a box of chocolates. You don't know what you're gonna get with them in the playoffs at all. And and I I wanna see it play out. I do, because I'm with you. I wanna see Low in the playoffs. I wanna see some of these younger guys getting reps. I wanna see like, do you have something with guys like Brazo and, and Richard? And if those guys continue to stay in the lineup, by the way. It's only been like a couple weeks or you know, a week or two. Um but that's my whole thing is like I just I am with you. I want to see some younger guys get some experience in the playoffs and just see where it takes it because the East is open. The East is wide open. I was just watching on ESPN the the Red Wings Blues game. Mm-hmm. It was on at the gym. And uh, first of all the the Red Wings Red Wings scored like three goals in like five minutes on Bennington. Blues look terrible, by the way. Yep. Um. But I didn't realize the Red Wings are first in the in the wild card right now. Yeah. Um. So the East is wide open. So, I, you know, could the Bruins go fully deep? The Red
1: Wings have been in a playoff spot or close to it pretty much all season. They've been like, you got to give them credit. Like, It just surprises one, me. I, didn't, I
2: didn't expect it.
0: I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation
1: with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment
0: that is a harsh lesson in business.
2: Sports is not as um, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't
0: want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so
2: many more doors. The show is
0: called The The Deal.
2: Deal.
0: Listen to The Deal. Listen to The
1: Deal
2: on Spotify.
1: Uh, And and I'm I'm glad you mentioned all that stuff because that was actually next on the list uh, to talk about. So it's a great segue Evan, you you have your host hat on right now. Which, I'm uh, good at
2: anticipating the next thing. You know, my good, my good p- podcast IQ is so yeah. high that just you know, like it's...
1: Bruce Cassidy was when he was the coach, <laughs> and he was able to answer questions before he could even ask them. With his answers to other questions, he could <laughs> anticipate and sense and just throw answers out there. I, like, bless, Hags,
2: I know you're going to ask about this.
1: God bless Bruce cool. Cassidy. He he knew it <laughs> and he would just answer it before you could ask it. Um, Anthony Richard, I thought I think he's looked excellent. Um, he's looked like a fast relentless player that's willing to throw his body in there, playing with tons of desperation, playing like a guy that does not want to get sent back down to the HL, does not want to go and take a bus ride to uh you know, um to, to Hershey anymore. Who wouldn't want to do that? You
2: know, that's crazy.
1: Like I, I he's playing like that, you know, and he's yeah. playing like that every single night. And the speed that he has it's it's a factor and it's something the Bruins yes. desperately needed, I think, was like some burners that they could throw in the lineup like that and really cause some uneasiness on the other team and, and force them to, you know, to speed up what they're doing and, and force them to rush and make mistakes. Um, Justin Brazot, I thought looked like he belonged in the NHL in the two games that he played. Um, certainly at six foot five with a big body, he's not gonna be a blazer like Anthony Richard. But uh, he was able to keep up and he was not a liability out there skating wise, you know, and, and I I think Mark Diver had mentioned this, like he certainly didn't look any slower than James Van Riemsdyk, you know, and Van Riemsdyk has been able to survive in the league for a long time. I'm not saying they're the same player, but he's going to be able to survive in the league as long as he can, you know, win puck battles in the offensive zone, move the puck up the ice when it comes to him uh, get in front of the net and make things happen. And like, all I needed to see was A, um, that he's gotten scoring chances and shots on net in both of the games that he played, and B, on the goal, he was so strong on his stick and strong on the puck that he knocked Ryan Suter's stick out of his hands as yeah. he was going for that loose puck to score on it. Like, that was a caged beast that wanted the puck, wanted to score, and was going to blow everybody out of his way in order to get there. And to do that to a veteran guy like Ryan Suter that's been a Norse Trophy-caliber defenseman in his past, to, to the strength level – that you would need to, to have to knock a stick out of a guy's hands in front of the net was tremendously impressive to me and, and said a lot about him. So like, I, I just, you, you want to give a shout out to the NHL, um, the Bruins NHL scouting staff and the people they have in place that are signing these young veteran players like Anthony Richard, like Justin brazo like Parker Weatherspoon, you know, there's a, there's, four or five guys um that have come in and out of the lineup for the bruins and have have played some games for them uh that are in that status they're not young kids these are guys that have been around the pros for a few years and uh, you know are knocking on the door but haven't quite gotten there and when they call each of these guys up they're getting the job done and maybe that's what it takes um to get a, a bottom six or to get a fourth line together that can be a factor in this postseason and you know, maybe you'd like to also add something else to that, like a, a big physical guy to add to sort of the speed. And Jesper Boquist, I would put in this category, and Dan Heinen too, for that matter. These guys yeah. are all on $775,000 contracts. You know, veteran minimum contracts is like three or four guys. You can't get through a season if you're in salary cap hell, unless you have a bunch of players performing that are on contracts like that. and And they're all doing it. So uh, credit to the NHL scouting staff for the Bruins for all these guys getting it done. And it starts to make you wonder um, if they can piece together a fourth line with some of these players while adding something else uh, at the trade deadline to make it a factor.
2: I think they can. I mean, you look at like, like, let's just look at Richard and and Brazo, right? Like those guys both bring you something that you don't, you didn't have before, right? The Bruins are a slow team. You mentioned JVR, but you know, overall team speed is not, they're their big thing. You see it in overtime, right? When it's three v three, and other teams just kind of having their way, and the Bruins are kind of just, uh, you know, trying to, you know, kind of box it in a little bit uh, in their own zone. Yeah. Um, Richard brings that. Richard's a, as you said, north south fast guy, which is kind of what they need, especially in that bottom six.
1: Focus then- brings it too, and those two are playing. Focus the- does really changes the identity of that fourth line when you have those two kind of speed players on it. Like it's obviously not a crash and bang line, but no. they like they are a factor by just like attacking with speed and going after people.
2: And then, yeah. And then Brazil also brings kind of that size, you know, uh, kind of the Milan Lucic role that they were looking for, for Lucic to fill out. um, And, and again, I think it just, you know, uh, has a little bit, you know, little offensive touch, which is nice. And uh, you know, again, I, I'm curious to see kind of what that fourth line can bring you, if you can piece together something, because it feels like, I mean, Boquist, it feels like he's worked his way, into being the number 4 center um yep. and then you know Richard and Brezzo have been have been solid so maybe that's what you go with i mean you also have guys like Lauko um you know i think you and i both are in agreement uh-huh. on Oscar Steen and that he's kind of that tweener uh, where, you know, you can call them up in a little, in, in kind of a pickle and you can have them there. and But I, I don't think you it's can, a long-term fix. You can, but like Richard,
1: Boquist, guys like that are bigger factors, better players. Like you can I see Completely it, agree. more of an impact when they're in there than than Steen was. Steen was more of like a placeholder uh, when he was in there while, where these guys are making things happen. Um, but yeah, I, I just think it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out because I think they have some options now. I, I would still like them to upgrade with a fourth line type player. You know, preferably maybe somebody that does is also a center and can win face-offs. Um, and, and can Chris bring Kelly. that to the table <laughs> as well. Uh, because they could use another center that can win faceoffs in big situations, uh, especially come playoff time. All right. Uh, let's get to the tweet of the week. This is from C Tully is Funny on uh Twitter slash X. I like that name. Uh, I'd like to know how many times has Pasta been on the ice in OT or late in the third for the other team's winning goal. <laughs> um, like yeah, he's he's certainly been out there some. He was out there uh, in the uh, overtime game winner for Nazem Kadri, right? Because he had a chance. Yep. And then it got kicked going the other way, and uh, they ended up scoring. But, like, look, how many times has he been out there when they've won in overtime, too, or when they've made a play in the third period where he's won the game? Like, that's the kind of player he is. You know, he's risk reward, he, like tons of times he's going to give you the goal. He's going to give you the offensive play. But like those kind of players all play with risk in their game and all do things where it can backfire or go, get going the other way. Do I get a slight bit nervous when David posternak is out by the point with the puck? Um, <laughs> a little bit. probably play where up. everybody's like rotating and changing spots. <laughs> of course, like I, I think there are times he like will try to do things and it's high risk. Um, but I think that's also comes with, with a reward part of it and having the understanding that, you know, great players and creative players are going to like have thing times where things backfire on them. Uh, and that's just like part of like, uh, putting him out there. Are you not going to put David Posnick out there in three on three OT? Cause you feel exactly. like he's a liability that might turn over the puck every once in a while. Like that's foolish too. Like, how stupid would that be? It would be like Felger's uh, grand uh, take from last year where he wanted to take Pasternak off the power play, take a yes. 6 scorer off the, off the power play. Like, I, I, I understand the turnovers are there sometimes, but you're not going to, like, go away from Pasternak because he turns over a puck. You're not going to go away from Charlie McAvoy because he goes high and wide with a shot in overtime, and the puck rims out and goes the other way, and the other team scores. Like – that was a highly entertaining overtime in Calgary where there were tons of chances back and forth and Calgary just ended up finishing off one of the chances that they had. And that's the way it goes uh, in overtime, especially if the teams are playing the way they're supposed to play in overtime and not being too conservative and just open it up and have fun like that. So, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not one of those people that's going to listen too much to the David Pasternak talk uh, critiquing his, uh, his mistakes in the, in third periods and overtimes.
2: Pasternak has this unfortunate, uh, what's the word? Like unfortunate habit of making really skilled plays look easy, and trying to do, th- but but it when it backfires and it doesn't go in, it looks like oh he's not trying. Like the other night, right on that. Well, it looks 200- like that was
1: shootout too, right? When well, that's what to... I mean. That's yeah. So the,
2: the shootouts, the the grand example where it's like when that. When that slingshot shot goes in, it looks terrific, right? Yeah. But when it doesn't, and it's just, you know, it looks, it's like, wow. Like I was at, uh, I think it was, I think it was that Tampa game. I went with my girlfriend, and uh, I think it was, and and I think he just, it was a, it was a shot to try to keep the over the shootout going, and he just kind of threw it on net, and he was trying that shot if memory serves, yeah. and it didn't work. Yeah. And she's like, was he even trying? And but that's the thing is that like th- that to the naked eye. They can look like that. And like that 2-1-0 the other night, she's not a big hockey fan. So I can I can make fun of her hockey knowledge because she doesn't know a ton about hockey. Um, She beats me in tennis and other sports like that. But hockey's not her her strong suit. Um, But like, for instance, in overtime, when it was a 2-1-0 with McAvoy against the Flames, uh, initially I thought he was trying to shoot it low pad to have it come out for McAvoy to put the rebound in. And I was like, that's an interesting move in overtime with the 2-1-0. But then you go back and look and it's like, oh, he's the five hole was kind of open for a second there and he was trying to go five hole, but he makes it look so effortless that it looks like he's putting no effort in. And it's the naked eye that can sometimes be like, what the hell is he doing? Um, But, you know, again, when it works, it works. I have no problem with Pasternak and that stuff. Um, There's going to be turnovers. He has the puck on his stick a lot. The more you have the puck on your stick, the more likely it is you will turn the puck over. It happens. Um, And there are some boneheaded plays he makes along the way, yes. But he's a 60-goal scorer. He's your best offensive player. Um, He's one of the best players in the league. Um, If he's going to flub up in overtime every now and again – you take it because he's going to have more plays where he, where he finishes the job. So um, I, I guess it's hard to compare these positions, but it's sort of like Tuca all those years in that he was so effortless. I thought with like some you know, like compared to Thomas where I think some fans were like, he doesn't try. And it's like, no, he's just like always in position. And he's just so such a skilled, good all around goalie that he makes a lot of, Hard saves look very easy. Um, yep. And I think it kind of falls in that same category of guys who are just so good that it just, it's effortless. I know I sound like such a Bruins Homer saying those
1: things, uh, but it's
2: true. I, I That's yeah. how I view it.
1: it. And you know, sometimes when he's going for the shootout move where he's trying to get the flex on the stick and, and sling it forward, that it's going to yes. bad if he, if he just casually like does it and it doesn't work <laughs> the, the way it's supposed to, Hits that's the goalies
2: just, like pad, you know, it's like, ah,
1: but that's like, that's part of the game within the game of those guys in the shootout, trying to outthink the goalie or trying to like, you know, just uh, de- be deceptive with what they're going to do and, and all that stuff. And like, you know, sometimes it looks good. Sometimes it looks horrible. Um, there were times where Tuca did the shootout and it looked like he wasn't trying to stop the puck too. So like, you know, these yeah. things happen. Um, all right, Evan, thank you very much. Appreciate you uh, joining us today. Let's thank our sponsor real quick. CLNS exclusive wager- wagering partner, FanDuel Sportsbook. Uh, Get buckets with your first bet on FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Because right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 bet. That's $150 if your team wins. Download the app. It's super easy to use. Bet on all your favorite NBA players and teams with quick bets, live same-game parlays, exclusive props, so much more. Just visit FanDuel.com slash Boston and shoot your shot. Evan, thank you very much, buddy. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. You too.